Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad, rubber-coated hardware for a better fit, and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical, underage sale prohibited. Introducing Zone Nicotine Pouches, the perfect balance of unparalleled comfort, longer-lasting flavor, and nicotine that satisfies. Whether you're zoning in during the race or zoning out after a tough day at work, Zone gets you there faster and keeps you there longer. Available in seven flavors and in six and nine milligram strengths. Find Zone at zonepouches.com and retailers near you. Own your Zone with Zone Nicotine Pouches. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. All afternoon long, through the wet and through the dry, Corey Heim has shined. Here he makes his way through the right-hand turn, 8 and 9. Zane Smith forcing the issue, sliding the tail off on his board, but he's simply not going to catch the leader up to turn 10. Corey Heim attempting to bookend this race. He started from the pole, he led the first four laps, and now leading as he works his way through turn number 12. Here comes Corey Heim for the final time off Turn 13, looking for the checkered flag. It's in the air, and Corey Heim has won the O'Reilly Auto Parts 150 at Mid-Ohio. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we recap a wild weekend of racing in Atlanta. And we get ready for a trip up to New England and the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. It's time for another NASCAR Live Fast Forum. We're going to visit with the gentleman from Crew Call. We'll do a deep dive into the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season. Steve Post and Todd Gordon will stop by to engage in that. We're also going to visit with Justin Allgaier, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, returning to one of his best tracks this weekend. Plus, we'll relive the very first race at Loudoun. As of today, the 30th anniversary of the Cup Series making its debut at the Magic Mile. Plus, we'll preview all this weekend's racing action and a whole lot more. Kyle Ricky is here as he is each and every week with a check of the latest in NASCAR headlines. Kyle, what do you have for us this week? Mike Bush Light has officially announced that they will be sponsoring Ross Chastain next season after Kevin Harvick hangs up the helmet. Anheuser-Busch and Trackhouse Racing inked a multi-year agreement Tuesday that will make the beer company the primary sponsor for Ross Chastain in the NASCAR Cup Series. In light of Anheuser-Busch's departure from Stuart Haas Racing, the team's chief commercial officer, Brian McKinley, stated, quote, We value all of our partnerships and take great pride in seeing Anheuser-Busch's association with Kevin Harvick and Stuart Haas Racing serve as a springboard for their overall marketing strategy. Our organization has been fortunate to have committed corporate partners and look forward to fostering new relationships, unquote. Elsewhere, today and tomorrow, Texas Motor Speedway will be hosting a Goodyear tire test with all three manufacturers. Participating in the test is Denny Hamlin for Toyota, Daniel Suarez for Chevrolet, and Joey Logano for Ford. And after winning the inaugural event on the streets of Chicago, this Past weekend, Shane Van Gisbergen made his return to the Australian Supercar Series, and in his 500th start, the driver finished fourth. 
in the Townsville 500. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, Todd Gordon and Steve Post will join me for a NASCAR Live Fast Forum. And later, we'll visit with Lil Gator, Justin Allgaier. From outdoor care to home and auto repair, do it with Craftsman. Find the tools, equipment, and storage you need at your local Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Craftsman.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. So glad you're with us here on this Tuesday night here on the Motor Racing Network. If you've been to MRN.com, we have a great show called MRN Crew Call. It's hosted by Steve Post and Todd Gordon, championship winning crew chief and Daytona 500 winning crew chief. Todd Gordon, this week, it obviously will hit on all MRN digital platforms. You can catch it at MRN.com, also YouTube as well. Those gentlemen join us right now to engage in a NASCAR Live Fast Forum. Posty, Todd, welcome in. How are we doing today? Fantastic. Doing great. How are you, Mike? I'm fantastic as well. Gentlemen, let's start with the Quaker State 400 at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. Todd, I'll start with you first as a former crew chief and part-time current crew chief with Legacy Motor Club. What did you think about what we got? Obviously shortened due to weather, but what about the style of racing and the intensity of the racing that we took in on Sunday night there in the ATL? Yeah, I thought it was a thought it was really interesting to see how it's kind of evolved. And you know, this is second year on the asphalt. Uh, you got the heat. You got the sunlight cars had to handle qualifying we saw cars have to lift you know it's not a typical super speedway race event and this place is starting to age we're handling plays and and you still see two lines of of guys back but those lines aren't as laid up as they normally are because guys have to handle and and build that in their cars yeah absolutely i think a couple things just kind of jumped out at me the intensity meter when we have the weather after halfway I just, I, I love when we're in that scenario. I don't love that it rains. I wish we had 72 degrees and sunny all the time, but the intensity meter, when you get to that halfway mark and the storms are rolling in, just makes the racing bonkers. The other thing that stands out to me is just the effort by uh, William Byron, and Rudy Fuel and that team. The wheels had fallen off that team at one point during the early portion of that race. Problems on pit road, car is damaged, slid down through the grass. And I just think that that team really rallied back. Rudy got a little off sequence with everybody, put themselves in a spot. William got up on the wheel, passed A.J. Allmendinger when it counted the most, and that team got their fourth win of the season. So that performance of that team just on rallying back kind of stood out to me as well. Well, there's nothing worse at a racetrack than the threat of rain. But also, if you're racing, there's nothing better than the threat of rain to light a fire underneath some of these drivers out there. Todd, when did you used to tell your driver that rain is imminent and uh, basically it's time to go? When is when is the appropriate time to tell a driver that? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it depends on the, the inclement weather and what it looks like behind it. This this storm that came through, you kind of felt like it was going to be a day under when it got there. It was it was had a fairly deep mass to it, uh, and being a night race, it was going to be late before they could ever get going back. So at that point, you're going to tell them as soon as you understand that this race has implications that may not finish it, and and you know you try to keep them updated on that. That may start right right at the driver intros when you're standing next to the car before they hop in, saying, "Hey, we." 
we may be fighting weather tonight, so I'll, I'll keep you abreast of what's going on. But you'll update as you become more aware of when that is going to fall. You're going to keep your guys in a loop. And in this, you know, we've had two weeks in a row where we've had shortened races due to the weather, sun, and it's one of those that you kind of pull your hair out as a crew chief because both instances, that stage two stage points and the stage win, they drive your decisions a little differently and had opportunities on either side of it. Obviously, at the end of the night, it was William Byron going to victory lane at the Quaker State 400 to win four of the season. Posty, are we starting to see a little bit of separation atop the leaderboard here? Are William Byron and Rudy Fugel starting to inch out and inch away from everybody else right now as we angle up for the playoffs? Well, I think the way they're doing some of these wins, Mike, has certainly got my attention and 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 certainly puts me in the category that they're going to be one to watch all the way through Phoenix, in, in my opinion. Uh, we had those early races where they won the battle off from pit road at the end of the race and put William on the front row. William is driving with incredible talent right now, with incredible confidence. Hendrick Motorsports puts together great race cars. Rudy Fugel is really calling some good races. The the getting off sequence when you've got a damaged car like he did in Atlanta and putting your driver in a spot. So when you start checking off the boxes, driver, team, crew chief, execution, recovery from problems. This team really, to me, is starting to separate itself and stand out as one we're going to need to keep an eye on for for much of the fall here in the NASCAR Todd, season. I'll bring you into that question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he's our points leader with a 60-point penalty. That speaks for the body of work they've done this year. I think he's leading by 36 points. It'd be almost 100 without the penalty. But I, I feel like they've executed very well. To, to Steve's point, They've not dominated races, especially here lately. This this was one where Rudy made a really good call and and, and paid attention where the weather was and, and wasn't in a, in a points position for, for stage two points and took the opportunities to kind of shuffle the field and, and took advantage of it. I think they've done a great job of execution. And at the beginning of the season, I thought the Hendrick cars were dominant. I thought they were, they looked like they could race, win every race. And the rest of the field, I feel, is caught up some, but... Rudy and him, William have really maintained their their execution. They're 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 getting the most out of the race events and that's what it takes to make a run through the playoffs. They are performing, I don't want to say flawlessly because right now I think every team has a challenge here or there, but they're putting things together. Todd, I'll ask you to do a deeper dive into Rudy and the way he calls races and his race calling craft. What is your analysis? You obviously gave him kudos for monitoring the weather, delivering a good call there to William, which it ultimately ended up winning the race. What about the way he calls races and leads that team? What are your observations as being a former crew chief as well? Yeah, I think he's done a good job of keeping his head level, and especially in situations when things aren't going the right way and trying to find another way to, to create a, situ- a situation that's positive for him. Not lost in, in, in the losses and, and focus forward on what can we make of this going forward. He's also got a really good pit crew who helps him you know, with some track position on pit road, as Steve alluded to, uh, won a couple races that way. But you've got to be that person that continues to look forward, and I think Rudy's done a great job of that. Now, it's interesting. I had an, a conversation with Jeff Gordon earlier uh, today where he addressed the five team. And Todd, he says the five team has speed, but they also have a lot of inconsistencies. And I think that we saw that on display Sunday night as well. That was probably, you know, how, how mama used to say there'd be days like this. Well, they had a day like that on Sunday. How do you recover from that and try to get things more consistently or handling the inconsistencies from week to week? Yeah, I, I talked to Cliff a little bit about this on Crew Call 
call a few weeks back and he talked about just what they're focusing on and how they unload. Um, they're, they're, they're working on trying to find that, you know, with limited practice that we have and the fact that you unload and especially here at Atlanta, you unload and qualify. Uh, but most places you unload, you go through technical inspection. So you get a 20 minute practice, but you can adjust heights of the car. You can adjust wedge, you know, the, the cross weight, the load that's on each tire, but you don't can't change springs. You can't change sway bars. You can't change geometries, cambers, things like that. So you've got to all set that at the shop. They're working through how they're going to, how, well, how they need to prepare themselves to unload closer at, at these races. Said they made some made some assumptions that they don't think were good and they're trying to work in a different direction, but it's that's a championship winning team and, and they're going to put that focus to, forward to get themselves where they need to be by the playoffs. Yeah, and I enjoyed our visit with him on crew call because of that. And just, I just, there's a, there's a confidence there. There's a, they're, they're not bad. They're, they're lacking a little consistency. The one thing they have that every team in the garage area wants is speed in the race cars. And they do have speed in the race cars. And when they get that speed locked in, we have a North Wilkesboro situation where they ruin everything, where they stick up the show. So you, the elusive speed is there. And to Cliff's point, it's, it's pinpointing it earlier in the weekend and just trying to get the most out of it uh, over the course of the weekend, the 20 minute, 15 minute practice session, a good qualifying run. And then the course of the race speed is there. And I think that bodes really, really well for that five team as we roll deeper. Into Coming the up, we will address the matters around Chase Elliott, Alan Gustafson, and the nine car. We'll also address the next gen's maturation process as we get ready to head into New Hampshire this weekend. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, designs and manufactures reliable and powerful warning lights, white illumination lighting, sirens, controllers and warning systems for the automotive, aviation and mass notification industries worldwide. Whelan products are designed, sourced and manufactured in America and tested on site to meet the toughest industry standards. Whelan Engineering, manufactured in America for over 70 years. We never left and we're here to stay. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Mike Bagley being joined with Steve Post and Todd Gordon, your hosts of Crew Call here on the Motor Racing Network. A little chatting about William Byron and Kyle Larson over at Hendrick Motorsports. Let's address the Chase Elliott situation. He has work to be done, 23rd on the playoff grid, points to be made up, but he's winless so far in 2023. Posty, I'll begin with you. Does Chase Elliott have a path to the playoffs without a win in the next seven races. Boy, Mike, I'll tell you what. I thought I thought when this when this started, when we got to 10 races out, I thought, yeah, he could make it in with a win. He could make it in with points. But the, the problem is that point thing, as you know, is a moving target. We get a couple of wins and that target moves way further up as far as where that cutoff point is. And, and, and that puts uh, Michael McDowell and Daniel Suarez on the outside looking in. So to me, I'm not sure the point thing is going to work out. We're seven races into this thing or seven races to go. And he's capable of winning at all seven those racetracks but the point thing to me i just think that their performance right now and and, and todd I'll, I'll shift it over to you because we actually talked a little bit about this todd where are the hendrick cars at where's that nine car at relative to everyone else on performance at this point to, to maybe try to point race their way in yeah i uh i don't see it i i felt this way i've said it for a while yes is there is mathematically can you um yeah i think you can you can uh you can put together a great string of top five finishes with uh stage points 
that may get him to that point. The thing I think the outlier, I, I, I've not seen that out of him so far. So I, I would say no in that respect. And the other piece is, is that we still have Indianapolis Road Course, Watkins Glen, and Daytona. Three outliers that I think many guys that sit there from 16th to 23rd, they have opportunities to win. You could look at a Justin Haley and A.J. Allmendinger, uh, Austin Sindrick. You know, there's several more names. Michael McDowell that, that can put themselves locked in with, I mean, Daniel Suarez, right? That's that's 15th, 16th on back. So I don't think that they can make it. I don't think that it sets up to the point where the nine car makes it on points. I think they've got to get a win in the next few races. My concern is, let's say they check either box. They win or they get enough points to get in. They are severely limited in the playoff point category, which are valuable commodities when you go to reseed once you get in. Todd, is this almost like the case of a dog cat uh, chasing a car? All right, you've chased it down and you've caught it. Now, what are you going to do with it with that lack of playoff points? Yeah, I think they're in a really big hole when it comes to you know, making the playoffs has to be the focus right now. But when you get to playoff starts, if you look at last year, they had such a playoff point uh, you know, margin on the field that covered up some poor races for them. They opened every round with a less than desirable finish uh, and giving back that points lead that they had came through and finished that through for most of the playoffs. I, I don't think that they make it deep in the playoffs because it's just not in a position where they're going to have, they're going to be a points deficit every race that they get to, if they get that win to get there, unless they rattle off three wins here and and stack up the the playoff points. We'll see where it all plays out. One of the things that I think Chase is missing out on by his, uh, his injury and obviously his suspension later on in the year, that's seven less races he's had to be in the car as the car has matured and Chase has gotten the opportunity to mature with that car. Posty, we're in the second year, about a year and a half into the next-gen car. Where is it as far as its maturation process is concerned, and who do you think is maximizing that process to their most? Well, I think when you look at it, I think that, you know, we've kind of broken it down across the board by categories. Intermediate tracks have certainly been fantastic racing. The racing's been really, really good. Super speedway tracks have been good with the racing as well. That's been really good. Road courses have been a little hit and miss, and short tracks. We're still working on this car for the short track. So, I think where the maturation is, as far as the car goes there's some areas where it's really really good performance wise and there's some areas that it's a little bit of a challenge when i look at some teams that that have maximized it you know we have the the penske the gibbs the hendrick they were at the front of the field before this car they remain at the front of the field i really like what brad keselowski and chris bush are doing with rfk i think they are really making some hay making some gains with this race car and i just think that i think that that's a team that is that is that is putting themselves in a good spot and have really done a nice job developing their little portion of it, their little package of it with this with this race car. Todd, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm likewise. I think uh, I think the car, you know, year two, uh, you know, NASCAR continues to work on the safety side of this car. Uh, they made it safe for, for the driver's environment. Now they're working on how do we make crashes less of an impact? And I think they've, they've continued to do that. It's, it's, they've done a good job with that. And, and that's a, that's a journey as we've done, uh, we, we've documented in the past. One of the things I think this next, next gen car has done, it's promoted more contact on racetrack. It's when you look at cars, you don't beat fenders in, you don't have tire rubs. There's, it's made racing a little more physical, which I think for the spectator has been a great show. It's done a great job. To, to Steve's point, I think RFK Racing, they were the third Ford team when you looked at this when Brad went over there. 
I would say right now they're they're vying Team Penske for the best Ford program. I, I they're, they're they're not quite there, but they've moved they've jumped Stuart Haas and and they're at that point. Really, if you looked at this weekend, Brad Keselowski was the best car at Atlanta. Uh, by far, I feel like the best car at Atlanta. I thought it was an opportunity to win for them. They stayed out. They didn't pit uh, short. They took the stage win, not knowing when the rain was going to come. But that cycled him back. He was able to drive back into the, I think, a sixth place finish. Really strong. Chris Buescher, if you look, if you look since Chase Elliott's come back, when Chase Elliott came back at Martinsville, Chris Buescher was the bubble car at 16th. He's 11th in points right now with an average of average finish at 10.9 since that point. They have quietly worked their way forward. These two cars, I think, are, are in a great position to carry the Ford banner deeper in the playoffs than people expect. What is the reason for that turnaround? Is it the new ownership group and Brad? Anything to put your finger on to explain the elevation of, of performance here of late? I, I, I've, I've worked with Brad uh, at Team Penske. I, I was his crew chief in 2011 on the Xfinity side back then. It was nationwide side back then, I guess. And uh, he draw, he's driven. He, he always looks for how we can do things better, how we can beat them. And, and that's, I think he's helped bring the, 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 you know, the morale, the mentality of Roush Fenway Kozlowski racing forward into focusing on winning, into making better products. He's created an environment over there. I think he's had an impact and you can see that happen across the board for that, that those programs. And it's not just his, it's that ownership piece. It's allowed it to impact both teams. And I think he and Chris are complement each other. Well, if uh, if RFK is not front of mind now, you might want to get them there because they are making an impact in the NASCAR Cup Series. Before we let you gentlemen go, I know you had a chance to spend some time with Randall Burnett. Matter of fact, that'll be on tomorrow's crew call. Posting a preview of what we can expect from the crew chief from Kyle Busch. Well, we talked a lot about Kyle Busch and what Kyle has brought to that program. You know, we're at the 60% or nearing the two-thirds mark of the season. This is a new pairing this year. So we talked a lot about Randall and Kyle's relationship, how they've developed that relationship, and then a whole lot more as far as that goes. The nuts and bolts of Atlanta, Chicago, the nuts and bolts of New Hampshire and going forward. So a lot on there with Randall Burnett, one of my favorite people in the garage area to talk to, and uh, just equally as engaging and equally as fun to chat with on crew so uh, hope everyone will check it out. It was a good visit with Randall Burnett, for sure. Yep. And that will drop tomorrow. Gentlemen, appreciate the time as always. We'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Mike. That's Steve Post and Todd Gordon, your hosts for Crew Call, MRN.com, and all digital platforms where you can catch that show. Coming up, we've got more on NASCAR Live, including a visit with Justin Allgaier. Kyle Larson brings his Chevy four tires to no go racing fuel. From fueling NASCAR champions on the track for over 20 years to innovating 94 octane, the highest octane on the market. Performance is what Sunoco does. All Sunoco fuel at the pump meets the same top tier standards as the fuel used in NASCAR. Money's back here for Ryan Blaney. Four tires with Sunoco fuel. From the track to your tank, you can trust Sunoco to help your vehicle perform at its peak. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. In his last three NASCAR Xfinity Series starts at New Hampshire, Justin Allgaier has finished third or better. Justin is also the defending winner of this event. Jason Toy had a chance to catch up with the 37-year-old to discuss why New Hampshire is one of his best. 
Justin, am I correct in this that this weekend at New Hampshire it's number 400 in the Xfinity Series start-wise for you? I think that number is pretty close, yes. It doesn't seem like it should ever have gotten to that point. I'll be honest with you, I thought I would have gotten thrown out with the, the, the bathwater a long time ago, but uh, I've been lucky enough to stay around. And, you know, we're going to a racetrack that we've had success at that I have a lot of fun at. So, you know, anytime I hit a milestone of different starts, whether that be, you know, just for the Xfinity Series or for my NASCAR Series as a whole, it's pretty surreal, to be honest with you. It's it's pretty special. That puts you in some pretty good club right there when you think about it. 400 NASCAR Xfinity Series starts. There's a lot of history there that's behind you that you've gone ahead of and you've still got more to catch up to. Kenny Wallace posted something not long ago about, you know, looking forward to the day that he can pass the torch on. And, and I'm looking at his numbers and I'm like, man, there's no way I'll ever get to that point. But just to to have the ability to be able to be here and to be a part of this great series and, and this sport. I mean, you know, when I was a young boy just starting in quarter midgets at five, you know, that wasn't even a blip on the radar. I mean, yeah, you can always hope to dream big, but you know, even even once I got a little bit older, I realized how difficult it is to not only get into the sport, but to have the longevity that we've had. And I owe a huge, huge gratitude to, to, to Brand Fresh and High Culture because really, honestly, they've been the driving force that's kept me in the sport, number one, but also made me enjoy the sport. I think sometimes it's really easy to get in the grind and, and you forget to really appreciate, you know, what what we have and what what we're able to do on a weekly basis and you know i've i've been on the good side i've been on the bad side you know i've, I've been through moments where you're like man why am i doing this why am i showing up at the racetrack each and every week but when you really step back and look at it from a thousand foot view it's 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 still an amazing sport and and something that i'm, I'm still proud to be a part of i don't have this stat in front of me but i gotta imagine with as long as rick brant and his crew has been with you that's one of the longest continuing sponsorships in nascar for a long long time i mean i'm not gonna say it's like stp type deal with richard petty but <laughs> It's still to have him in your back and your back there for you, having your back there for you. That's pretty huge. It's it's special. I mean, Rick Brand is truly an amazing person, and obviously, it's been really fun for me because I've I've seen the business grow um, significantly from just the time that I've started, and and I, it's been so awesome to even be you know a small piece of the puzzle. And we we laugh about it all the time, and and you know I think in this sport where you look at you know the sponsorship landscape has changed significantly in the last five or ten years versus what it was you know fifteen or twenty years ago, and there doesn't seem to be as many any uh, long-term partners in this sport like there used to be. And, and to have somebody like that, I mean, I, I look at somebody like Denny and FedEx, right? Or, or as you mentioned, Richard and STP, um, you know, the, there's there's very few companies, though, that I look at and say, man, the name hasn't changed or the people behind it haven't changed or, you know, whatever whatever way you want to kind of slice it. And so to have the the marketing team at Brandt and, and the, the employees there, the way that they support the program. But then, too, you know, the customers are a huge part of it as well. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to grow up in the Midwest and, and be surrounded by cornfields. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to travel all over the, the, the world, really. I mean, I, I've traveled all over the United States, but I've traveled all over the world meeting customers and, and distributors and, and, you know, employees. And it's just, man, it's been really, really cool to, to have that opportunity and something that, you know, I take very seriously and, and, and enjoy a lot. And it's something that has really made the biggest difference in, in my racing career, for sure. Justin Allgaier is here with us, driver of the Branch Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports. And all right, before we talk about New Hampshire, let's go back uh, to Atlanta last week. You had a great run going. I know fuel kind of caught you guys there at the back end of it, but you had some good things running. How about that race for you? And how's 2023 shaped up so far as we start to look to the back half of the year? I would say that Atlanta is a good good indicator of how our season is shaped up, man. It's it's you, you, you go 10 steps forward and you take 15 steps back. And, and it's, it was disappointing the other night. I mean, we worked all night to get to the position where we were at. We, we put ourselves in great position. We were going to restart right there, I think, sixth on that last restart. And, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. I, I, I feel like 
we did a lot of the right things. There's still some things that I wish now in hindsight I would have done differently. But you know, we had I think six or eight more laps worth of fuel than everybody else based on our calculations and, and we felt like we felt like we should have been good to go. You know, we, we, we knew we were gonna be down on fuel, but we didn't think we were gonna run out and mm-hmm. you know ultimately we ended up running out and, and I don't even know who was behind me. I need to go back and see the replay of it. Whoever was behind me, um I, I owe them significantly because <laughs> They never got off my back bumper. Like we took off and I started to accelerate and then the, the engine stumbled and whoever was behind me ran into me and basically pushed me all the way until the fuel got back to the carburetor and refired the engine. So I ended up completing the last lap you know, under under my own power, but it was because of whoever whoever pushed me all the way to turn one. So I know it ruined their day equally as much as it ruined ours, but um, it was very much appreciated at the point that we were able to, to get refired and go again. All right, let's talk about this weekend in New Hampshire. You talked about it earlier. It's a track you've done very well. Magic Mile, flat, oval track. What makes that a great track for Justin Allgaier? That is a great question. I wish I had an answer for you. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like growing up early on in my career, I was really successful at Milwaukee, which, mm-hmm. you know, obviously isn't on the, the Xfinity Series schedule anymore. But, you know, we ran the ARCA Series there and uh, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series there. And obviously, you know, I feel like it's... It's about the most similar, right? That's that's the only other place that I can think of um, that, that's that similar. But, but, you know, I just feel like the, the flatter racetracks are, are good for me. You know, we got our work cut out for us. I mean, obviously, JGR has been really, really good there the last number of years. Um, my teammates have been really, really good there the last number of years. We've seen an insurgence this year of some of the other teams that um, have maybe struggled a little bit on the short tracks, have, have upped their game for 2023. You know, I think you look at the RCR and college camps, uh, their short track package has, has gotten really, really good this year. So, you know, we know that it's not going to be easy by any stretch, but it has been a good racetrack for us. And I think the biggest thing, honestly, is being able to keep four fenders on it until the, the checkered flag falls and being in good position at the end. You know, it just seems like this race always comes down to, you know, a little bit of chaos at somewhere in the middle of the race. There's usually going to probably be some cautions and you can always guarantee that there's going to be some cautions at the end and there's probably going to be a stack up off a of turn two on a green wire checker. Why that is i don't know but it just seems like that's always the case so you know minding your p's and q's and and making sure that you do all the right things is really really important you know i got a great team behind me and you know i'm i have no doubt that we can go up there and be successful we just gotta we gotta dot every i and cross every team we'll be in good shape justin good luck this week have fun at new hampshire hopefully you'll be holding up that big old lobster i hope so i really do it never gets old coming to these racetracks and appreciate what you guys do you know it's we're gonna have a lot of fun this weekend and you know, regardless of uh, how the rest of the season's gone, the next one is the most important one. And we're going to go get the monkey off our back, go have a good finish. And like you said, hopefully be standing in victory lane. And, you know, victory lane makes all the smiles in the world and it, it makes all the bad go away. So we're, we're looking forward to it. Good luck, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Coming up, we'll take you back 30 years to relive the NASCAR Cup Series debut at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And later... We'll hear from Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, and William Byron as they will preview this weekend's action in Loudoun. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live. Today 
is the 30-year anniversary of the NASCAR Cup Series making its debut at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. The Slick 5300 was run on July 11th, 1993. And our Kurt Becker is here to take us through the highs and lows of an iconic moment in this sports history. Even though NASCAR was founded in the southeastern United States and has roots in the region, as the sport grew, its footprint expanded nationwide. And with the number of large media markets in the Northeast, it became clear that expansion to that area would be vital to the sport's growth. While tracks such as Pocono Raceway, Dover Motor Speedway, and Watkins Glen International had become mainstays on the schedule, the area near Boston, Massachusetts remained underserved for many years. That changed when Bob Bear opened New Hampshire International Speedway in Loudoun in 1990. That year, the Xfinity Series, then known as the Bush Series, paid its first visit to the track. And three years later, the NASCAR Cup Series opened a new chapter of its own at the Magic Mile. 30 years ago today, some 66,000 fans filed into the Speedway for the inaugural Cup Series event, the Slick 50 300. One thing is for sure, it seems though everybody who is a sports fan in the New England area has his or her eyes upon this New Hampshire International Speedway today. I'm sure over the years there's been a Red Sox or Bruins or Celtics ticket that was harder to come by than our ticket for today's Slick 50 300. But folks, trust us, this is one of the hardest tickets to come by in all of New England in the fans have turned out in record numbers. While some drivers had experience from the Bush races there, a majority of the field was racing in the Granite State for the first time. When the green flag dropped, it was one of NASCAR's most iconic paint schemes leading the way as Mark Martin and his Valvoline Ford started from the pole position. Elmo Langley brings the Chevrolet Corvette safety car down the pit lane and Doyle Ford atop the flag stand about set to get the Slick 50 300 underway. Green flag is in the air as they wheel it off to turn number one. Mark Martin gets a good break and goes into the corner all by himself, single file. It did not take long for the first yellow flag to fall as on the second lap, a rookie who would eventually eventually be known as the track's most dominant driver went for a spin. That turn really throws you towards the outside retaining wall, but it works for Burton. He'll go from sixth up to fourth, trying to cut in just ahead of Schrader, and he's in trouble. Jeff Burton spins on the outside of the racetrack. Kenny Schrader works the inside lane. He'll go to the inside. Ernie Irvin is collected now. Michael Walter barely misses the spinning car of Jeff Burton. Everyone scrambles here in turns one and two. The next green flag run was also a brief one, as a four-car crash involving Michael Waltrip and Phil Parsons, among others, halted the action once again. Trouble up turn four. Bobby Hillen gets into the back of Jerry O'Neill's car, sending a scramble onto the front stretch. And caution will come out of the speedway. It looks like three cars involved in this one. Four, let's make that four as one is against the outside wall. Michael Waltrip has some damage. Jerry O'Neill has some damage. Kenny Schrader's car sits almost in the middle of the racetrack. Michael will pull away with a front end caved in on that car. And it looks like Phil Parsons will be the other car that is pinned up against the outside wall. Second caution of the day. Didn't take long to get a yellow again. While Martin was leading during those early cautions, a driver who was looking for his first win actually looked like he might have the strongest car. That driver, Sterling Marlin. New leader now is Sterling Marlin. He made the move around Mark Martin in turn one. Marlin made the move down to the inside line. This blue right on by Mark Martin. He's picked up two car leagues on him already. Martin now in second spot with Jeff Gordon still holding on to third. Terry Labonte fourth and Davey Allison fifth as they work through four. I think the key in the early going here is going to be patience for some of these drivers, but Marlin didn't have any. Sterling's been so close to winning this year, and he's determined to put that car in victory lane. While many watched Marlin lead in pursuit of what he hoped would be his first victory, Others were focusing on drivers who were contending for the championship. Two of those drivers started deep in the field. 
Dale Earnhardt started 24th, while Rusty Wallace started all the way back in 33rd. While Earnhardt was stuck mid-pack for most of the event, Wallace was slowly but surely making his way to the front. On a restart on lap 168, that march to the front was completed. David gets a good jump out of car length over Rusty Wallace, but Wallace now on the attack. He gets around the lap car of Ernie Irvin, tries to make a move on the outside. He's forced to fall back in line. Here's Rusty moving down underneath the race leader. Wallace with the Pontiac Chargers down to the inside of Allison's Ford at the end of the back straightaway. Rusty wins the drag race by about a half a car length. Now the car slides up in front of Allison. Ernie Irvin's going to try and get under Davey in four. Wallace led for more than 70 laps following that pass on Davey Allison, as Allison turned out to be Wallace's biggest competitor for the win in the back half of the race. Allison took the lead back with just over 50 laps to go and held it until the final caution on lap 268. All of the leaders came to pit road for the money stop, and it was Wallace's crew that got him off pit road ahead of Allison. The ensuing restart with 27 laps to go was Allison's best chance at overtaking Wallace in hopes of capturing the first Cup Series checkered flag at New Hampshire. Green flag from Doyle Ford. The slick 5300 resumes. 27 laps to go. The leader is Rusty Wallace in turn one. Wallace has a two-car link lead on Davey Allison. Mark Martin next in line looking to the outside and trying to make a pass. Here comes Jeff Gordon trying to clear himself of traffic further back. Wallace held the lead on that restart and never looked back, holding off Allison and Mark Martin in the closing stretch, completing what was essentially a worst-to-first afternoon at the Magic Mile. Last lap. Miller Genuine Draft Pontiac leading the way for the last time through one, through turn two, wide off the corner and down the back straightaway. Half a mile to go for Rusty Wallace. He will not encounter any lap traffic as Wallace now rolls out of the throttle and onto the brakes at the entrance of turn number three, gets back on the throttle halfway through the corner, and he's on his way off of turn number four. Rusty Wallace out of turn number four, about to put his name in the history books as winning the first Winston Cup race ever here at the New Hampshire International Speedway. He takes the checkered flag. Coming across second is going to be Mark Martin. Davey Allison will finish third. Following the checkered flag, Martin and Allison spoke about what made the difference for Rusty in the closing laps. You know, we just never did quite get exactly like we needed it. It was an awful good run for the Valvoline crew and, uh, and all. This is a great showing for us. I'm real proud of, uh, you know, of the effort. Uh, Rusty and them ran real good, and he, he drove his heart out there at the end. He was all over the track, and I was too, and Davey was too. We were trying to, we were racing, but, you know, it was a good show, but we just didn't have enough to win it. Davey, I tell you, it looked like you were long gone. Didn't need that last caution. Well, Winston, we really didn't need that caution, but, you know, some days it's your lucky day, and some days it's somebody else's. Got to congratulate Rusty Wallace because he was there at the end of the race. He ran a great race all day. We had a lot of fun racing each other, and the Texaco Havilland Thunderbird really performed well. The crew did a great job. Regrettably, this race would mark the final start of Davey Allison's career as he passed away two days later following injuries sustained in a helicopter crash the day after the race. But as Allison exited his race car for the final time in New Hampshire, he noted that it had been an enjoyable afternoon at the inaugural event in Loudoun, racing with Wallace. And Rusty shared a similar sentiment about the successful first event in Victory Lane. But I knew right off the bat the car was strong, and I just had to drive smart because there was some wrecking going on. But all in all, I think all the competitors did a great job. And boy, what a whale of first race for here at New Hampshire. A bunch of neat fans, and, uh, and we're going to have a good time going home. Throughout the last 30 years, New Hampshire Motor Speedway has been home to many classic moments, such as Jeff Burton leading every lap on his way to Victory Lane, or stars like Joey Logano and Clint Boyer capturing their first career victories. But it will always be difficult to top the memories created from the inaugural Slick 50 300.
Thank you, Kurt. Coming up, we'll hear from Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, and others as we'll preview this weekend's Crayon 301 at New Hampshire. And later, we'll revisit the 1997 CMT 300. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. This weekend, the NASCAR Cup Series heads to New England to take on New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Kyle Ricky is back to take us through what the drivers expect ahead of the Crayon 301. The first half of the NASCAR season has featured trips to the Southeast, Midwest, and West Coast. But now it's time for the Northeast to get some love. This weekend will feature NASCAR's annual trip to the Granite State and New Hampshire Motor Speedway. This past weekend at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, William Byron once again reminded his competitors that he will be a force to be reckoned with in terms of the championship. The win was a series best fourth on the year and saw him return to being the points leader. Byron will now look to use that momentum heading to New Hampshire, a track that he has yet to score a top 10 at in his five previous Cup Series starts. Despite the lack of success there, Byron is confident that his team has made gains at the Magic Mile. New Hampshire's tough for us. It's It was great all the way until I got to the Cup Series, and I thought, man, I'm really good at this track. And then I got against all the Cup guys, and I'm like, no, I'm not, not very good here. So I got a truck win early, and I think that kind of helped make me overconfident that I was really good there. And I think just inching up on little details here and there. And I thought we had a really good sim session at uh, Loudoun last week. So I think we're confident going in there. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the 19 is going to be fast. I think there's going to be a few other guys that are, that were good at gateway, the 11. So I think it's going to be tough, but, but yeah, that's certainly one we circled on the calendar. We've done a lot of sim work for, so uh, hopefully, hopefully all that stuff pays off and we show up fast. While Byron has four wins and is in prime points position, his teammate Chase Elliott is still chasing that victory that could lock him into the playoffs. Last year at Loudoun, Elliott had his best finish there, a second-place run. But he doesn't think his team can bank on the speed that they had there last year because so much has changed since. I think just too much has changed to look back on the calendar last year and be like, yeah, you know, we had a good run at Loudoun, which we did. You know, we had a, had a shot at winning, and I feel like I, I pretty much single-handedly failed at, at that one and, and but to look at that and then to come to this year and just think that yep that one's going to be good because we ran there ran good there last year I just don't think it's reality I think too much has changed so I am really focused on where we are now the things that we've been doing this year the things that I've been working on I think all the all those things that are more recent are going to apply more than than what was going on a year ago this past weekend at Atlanta was a home race for Elliott, and this weekend will feature some home cooking for another past series champion, Joey Logano. Logano has won twice at his home racetrack and says that there aren't many races on the schedule that can top winning at New Hampshire. Outside of Daytona, I would assume Indy, 
in a championship race or getting yourself into the championship four somehow in some big moment, I, that is the biggest win you can have outside of those for sure. Winning at your home track is just, it's, it's special for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of memories there for one, but it's the people that are there with you more times than not, right? It's like your family's there, your friends are there. Like people don't get to go to every single race and you celebrate with them in victory lane. Like that is just the coolest moment. And it's probably different for others. I, I don't know. But for me, Loudon is, is always going to hold a special place in my heart for that reason. Like I always say, I st- watched my first cup race there. I started my first cup race. We won our first cup race. Like, it's a special place. Logano isn't the only driver looking forward to heading to Loudon every year. While Kevin Harvick is from the West Coast, New Hampshire might as well feel like a home race for him, giving his four wins and 23 top 10 finishes at the track. Given that success and the speed the four team has shown at similar tracks so far this season, Harvick is eyeing New Hampshire as a track where he could capture the win he is looking for for his final Cup Series season. Our, our flat track stuff has, has been really good. Our short track stuff has, has always been been really good. And I think as, as we go, you know, this year, our short track stuff is, is in, the, in the same category. So it's, it's definitely a racetrack that, that we're looking forward to, to going to. And, and, you know, I can't wait to, uh, to finally hopefully get to victory lane. It's, it's uh, after Nashville having the fastest car and having a tire go flat and, and Phoenix and a couple of the other places where it just seems like it all hasn't come together, but they're doing a, they're doing a great job of putting fast cars on the racetrack. Loudon is one of those places that just checks a lot of boxes in order for us to go up there and hopefully have a good weekend. Harvick should be a factor to win this season, but it isn't an overstatement to say that with the exception of Harvick, 2023 has been a massive struggle for Stuart Haas Racing. While Harvick's playoff position seems solid, even without a win, his three teammates are in situations where they need a win to have a chance to race for the championship. Chase Briscoe is one of those teammates, and even though he has shown speed at some of the other flat tracks on the circuit, he admits New Hampshire is still a bit puzzling for him. How will he prepare for this weekend? By studying what worked for the winner of last year's race there. I still have a lot to learn when I go to Loudon, so I'm going to really rely on my teammates there next weekend. Uh, you know, Kevin's extremely good there. Eric's obviously won a cup race there, and Ryan, that's like his home track. So I'll uh, use those guys quite a bit next week, just trying to, to figure out what I can do. And even looking back at, you know, notes and video, I'll, I'll probably study a lot of Christopher Bell stuff going into next week. I feel like he's incredibly good there. Last year at New Hampshire marked the first win of the season for Christopher Bell and the start of a run that eventually saw the 20 car as part of the championship four. Could we see a similar result and story this year? We'll find out who comes out on top in Sunday afternoons. Crayon 301. Thank you, Kyle. That New Hampshire preview brought to you by Whelan Engineering. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, has been manufacturing in America for over 70 years. We never left, and we're here to stay. Coming up, we'll close out the show by flashing back to the 1997 CMT 300. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live, but before we go... We have dialed up the MRN time machine and we have set it to send us back to September 14th, 1997. 
and the CMT 300 at New Hampshire. Coming down, getting ready to take the green flag in the CMT 300 on the front row again. Kenny Schrader and Bobby Hamilton. Green is in the air as they race to turn number one. On the break, it'll get single file among the front three as they get into turn one. Ken Schrader swings around. will show the way for the first time into turn number one as the field now stacks up behind him. Second place is where the battle is now as Mike Skinner tries to work to the outside of Bobby Hamilton, but Hamilton beats him off turn two. Hamilton running that advantageous low line. will hold on to the second spot at the back. Battle now for third. It's Brett Bodine down on the inside of Mike Skinner in turn three. Ken Schrader washes way wide in the middle of three and four. Bobby Hamilton is not able to take advantage and get low underneath him. And Schrader will lead the first lap. Now they're three wide for third. Ricky Craven to the inside of Brett Bodine to the inside of Mike Skinner. Craven makes the move by Bodine to pick up the fourth spot. Now Skinner gets shuttled up to the top side of the racetrack. Nearly tags the wall but loses five positions. And the race is on for the lead. It's Bobby Hamilton down to the inside of Schrader as a drag race the back straightaway. Schrader will hold him off into turn three. It's Hamilton in second. Ricky Craven now up to third. Now they tuck back in single file all the way through about fifth position, diving down to the inside, trying to move up a notch there. As they work their way around is John Andretti. Those cars that got caught in the outside lane, Mike Skinner was one of those, has now lost about ten spots. They're back in one in the battle for the lead. It is Bobby Hamilton on the move. He's got the inside line coming into the corner. He'll get by Ken Schrader. The door left open. Here's Ricky Craven trying to get by and Brett Modine as well, stacked up in the inside. Bobby Hamilton leads the charge down to the inside line. He will lead them into three. Craven fills the hole on the inside of Kenny Schrader. You can hear that race in its entirety this week by subscribing to MRN Classic Races wherever you get your podcast. We'd like to thank Justin Allgaier for joining us on this week's show. I'm Mike Bagley. For the rest of the MRN crew, we'd like to thank you for joining us as well. Don't forget, NASCAR Live Wide Open drops this Thursday, and we're back with you one week from tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern with another edition of NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downey, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.